would you please take your Bibles and turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, and we're going to be reading there this morning. We're continuing our study of the Lord's Prayer that we began last week, if you couldn't tell that from the video already. And um, I pray that this is going to be deeply encouraging to you in your prayer time. Uh, we want this to be practical. Next week we're going to be talking about some things that we're going to be doing in preparation for our spiritual growth emphasis. It's coming up towards the end of February, February 22nd through the 25th. A man named Jerry White will be coming speaking on Sunday and then each night, Sunday through Wednesday night, much like we did last year. But just a time to catch your breath spiritually, an opportunity to come and listen carefully and to see what God is saying that may help you grow and take the next step in your, your spiritual life. And, um, and so that'll be coming up. But we're going to be talking about some ways we're going to pray for those meetings and maximize their, their impact on us as individuals. You know, studying prayer for 10 years, I worked as a prayer coordinator for Arkansas Baptists, and, and so most of my preaching and teaching was related to this topic of prayer. But in all that time, I don't think I ever preached or taught a series on the Lord's Prayer. And so this week, uh, I just find the Lord continues to be teaching me things. And yes, I'm your pastor, but I'm also a, a brother in Christ, and growing and he's teaching us things but also found the greatest level of opposition I think perhaps to any series of studies that that I've done here so far at Wynn Baptist and I've concluded that you can be involved in a lot of different ways at church and you can serve and, and teach and participate and attend and give and do all those different kinds of things but the thing that Satan most does not want you to do is pray and you'll find more reasons not to pray than you ever will find reasons to pray. And, and I want to encourage you in your prayer life. And I want to encourage you to stay strong and, um, and take this journey with me as we study this word together. The opening phrase is of verse 9. Jesus, before we get into the prayer itself, Jesus starts it off this way. He says, in this manner, therefore, pray. In this manner, therefore, pray pray. I want to take each one of those words for just a second. First phrase, in this manner. Right away, when he says, in this manner, he's letting you know that what is coming is, is not the words to say necessarily, but it is a outline, it is a template, it is a model for how to talk with God in your time alone with God. And so it's, it's never intended necessarily just to be a group of words that we recite, although sometimes liturgical churches and in, even in Baptist churches we will do that. We will recite the Lord's Prayer. But the intent or purpose of it was that it would be a, a model, an outline for when you pray, you and the Lord. And so it also lets us know when he uses that phrase, in this manner, that prayer is not something that comes naturally to you and me. It's something we have to learn. It's something we have to apply ourselves to if we're going to grow in this area of prayer. And so don't be discouraged if you feel like I do so many times, like a baby with his toe in the ocean. I mean, <laughs> there's just so much to learn and so much to know in our encounter with God that uh, sometimes it may feel like I just don't know anything. And and that's okay. We have a lot to learn in this area of prayer. And Jesus suggests that when he says, in this manner, therefore pray. Now, when he uses the word therefore, 
He's referring back to the verses that we studied last week where Jesus sets the table on how we should pray. And, and he, you'll remember he said, don't be like the hypocrites who pray on the streets to be seen by men. You know, your whole, your whole motivation in prayer should be something dramatically different. It should be all about going to see the Father and being seen by the Father and spending time with the Father, not what other people think or know about your prayer time. And so there's an issue of motivation. The other issue was location. He said, don't do it to be seen by men. He said, but when you pray, he said, go into your room, close your door, shut the door, and there your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And so location also is pointing to the same principle that what he wants you to do is carve out of an insanely busy life a time and place where it's just you and him. And then he says, don't use these uh, vain repetitions. And as we studied that, we saw that he was just talking about meaningless expressions, words, uh, not just being yourself. He says they think they'll be heard for their many words. And he says, the Father already knows. Before you say anything, what you need. We raised a question at the end of last week, so why do we pray? Because the Father wants to be with us. He wants you to be with Him, and He wants to be with you. Location, motivation, communication. When Jesus said, in this manner, therefore, the therefore refers back to those things. And then He says, in this, in this manner, therefore, pray. The word pray there is an imperative of command, it is a direction, it is not an option. Jesus is saying, if you're serious about praying, this is the way to do it. And I want to frame what we're going to see in this, this first verse, verse 9, around this particular question. The question is this, how do I approach God in prayer? And what we discover immediately is that Jesus starts right here. What are you thinking about God when you approach him? What is your thoughts about who he is? And Jesus wants you and I to get that right before we do anything else. And the, and the Pharisees and the religious people of Jesus' day, they had, they had these incredible, exalted, transcendent uh, uh, visions and ideas about who God was, and they didn't get it. They still didn't get it. And so Jesus wants us to understand who God is as we begin our prayer. So how do I approach God in prayer? What is the starting point? First, come for intimacy. Come for intimacy. The first two words are our Father. You know, the fatherhood of God, for some of you sitting here this morning, is a real problem. And I, I can relate to that because it has been a lifelong journey for me to explore and understand and know the, the fatherhood of God, something of it. The Bible reveals God as a tender, forgiving, loving father that is not just a beautiful image, that is the truth and yet there are some of you who are struggling with the idea of God being a father. So let me back up just a moment and suggest to you what God had in mind when he created the family. 
The original intent that he had was that he would take tiny, dependent, little human beings and he would put them in a circle of relationship with an adult male, adult female. In the context of that relationship, they would, they would grow up. Now, have you ever wondered why God did it that way? Have you ever wondered why God took, took us, made us so, so helpless, and then, and then we don't grow very quickly compared to the rest of the creation? You know, why does it take so long for us to grow emotionally, to grow physically, to grow intellectually? He does it in, in slow motion. Why didn't he just do it the way he did it with Adam and Eve? Boom, fully grown, ready to roll. He doesn't do it that way, does he? I believe he did it this way because he intended the family unit to be a place where every part of the family unit, that per, the persons in that family can discover the truth about who God is. If you're a parent, even if you did not have a great experience growing up with a parent yourself, when you become a parent, there is something about that experience where God is able to speak to you and sometimes heal your heart as you discover what it is to be a parent and you realize this is how God is towards me. On the flip side of that, for the child growing up with a parent, the idea is that we would learn something of the tender, mercy, discipline of God, that we would learn something of that in the context of that family unit. But what if that didn't happen for you? What if that didn't happen for you? No parent is God, no parent is perfect, and I don't really don't want us to dwell on the imperfections of parenting. I have, you think you feel imperfect with one or two. I have six. And sometimes you can feel that intensely. Uh, as each one goes, I don't know how you are when kids grow up and leave home. Maybe you're doing a Snoopy dance. But my first, my first thought is all the things that I'm thinking, it's just too soon. <laughs> and as a parent, you still want to be with them. You still want to invest in them. still want to do things like that. Well, each person's experience with human authority by our very nature, by God's very design, our experience with human earthly authority, we tend to project upon God, and it can affect our relationship with Him. Good experiences make it easier to pray, our Father. Makes all the difference in the world if you had a good dad, a good mom. But so many in our world have suffered hurt and rejection. They've experienced these things in their families. And when you come to them and say, here's how you pray, pray our Father, and we don't think anything about it, but for them it immediately conjures up all kinds of things that are really not good. So I want to ask a question within a question. How can I learn to call him Father? How can I learn to call him Father? If you're a person who struggles with this idea of praying to him as Father, don't abandon the idea but let's grow in what the Bible says is true about him. And I want, I want to give you two words that you can use as handles that I believe will help you in this area. They have been helpful to me. The first one is privilege. The first word is privilege. Explore and accept what Jesus has done for you. When you placed your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, at that very moment, you became part of God's family. You became a child of God. In John chapter 1, verse 12, 
He says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name. So praying our Father is reserved only for Christians, only for Christ followers. Now there are theologians out there, self-appointed and educated, whatever the case may be, but there are theologians out there who believe in the universal fatherhood of God, that he's the father of everyone and that all roads lead to the same God and we worship the same God. He's everybody's father and yet the scripture does not teach that. When you and I trust Christ, he is the son of the father and when you trust him, he takes your life and in some mysterious but very real way, he unites you with Christ and you become equally a son of God or a daughter of God. He's not everyone's father on earth. Listen to what Jesus said to the Jewish leaders in John chapter 8, verses 42 through 44. Listen. Jesus said to them, having this argument, if God were your father, you would love me. (laughs) And it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? I'm the son of God, but he didn't quite say it that way. But, But he said, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, But he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. So access to God is really privileged only to the children of God. Forever keep out of your mind this concept of universal fatherhood. It's not taught in Scripture. It is a privilege. Now, when you go to the Old Testament, you begin to gain a sense of how privileged it is. You'll recall, those of you who are Bible scholars, when you read Exodus, and at Sinai, when God gave the Ten Commandments, He also gave a design for how people could approach Him and a design for worship. And that included the creation, ultimately, of a sacred space where he would dwell. And that sacred space was divided into two parts. One was called the Holy of Holies. The other was the Holiest of Holies. And God's presence was believed to to dwell in the Holiest of Holies. And it began as a tabernacle or a great big tent. And in the middle of this this tabernacle or tent, this, this huge curtain veil was hung and it separated the holy of holies from the holiest of holies and people who approach god each time you get closer to the holiest of holies fewer and fewer people make it when you come to the outer courts of the tabernacle uh, only jewish people can step into it when you come to the to the holy of holies only priests can go in there And when you come to the holiest of holies where God's presence is believed to dwell on the other side of this big curtain, no one went in there except once a year the high priest would go on the Day of Atonement. And and eventually that tabernacle became a temple and it had the same kind of design, a sacred space divided into two parts and there was a veil, a big curtain that hung in that temple and by the time of Jesus' day it was three feet thick. And so when you, when you think about privilege, access to God, 
the contrast between the Old Testament picture of what it took to get to God and the New Testament where we're told to come and pray our Father is like light years apart. What happened? Jesus happened. In Romans 5, verse 1, the Bible says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have right now, we possess peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then it says this, verse 2, Through whom? Jesus. We have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Uh, Romans 5 is a litany of all the things that are ours in Christ. We have a real peace with him. But the very second thing he says that you and I have is we have access into this grace. And grace is the favor of God. And when you're saved, all your sins are washed away. And you have his favor. You have his grace. And when you are able to go into his presence, you're stepping into the place where the favor of God is greatest. His presence. We have access by faith into this grace. Jesus did it. Now, how did Jesus accomplish that? Well, you remember what I told you about the tabernacle, the tent, and the temple? The very moment Jesus died, something happened in the temple. And uh, Matthew records it in Matthew 27, verse 50. Listen to what happens. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split. Is that a word picture or what? Three feet thick. Started at the top, torn all the way to the bottom. No longer a separation between the presence of God and those for whom Jesus died. So how can I learn to call him Father? His first word is privilege. I need to keep in my mind that this is, there's an awesome privilege to call him Father. And it's, it's free access that I have to the presence of God. But it was costly in terms of what Jesus did for me and what he did for you. But there's a second word. Not only privilege, but there's a word prompting. Prompting. Listen and respond to the indwelling spirit. Listen and respond to the indwelling spirit. Now, although Matthew and Luke in the New Testament are written in ancient Greek, Jesus and his followers from Galilee spoke Aramaic, which is a derivation of Hebrew. And these letters were written in Greek, which was like English today, kind of the language of trade and language of culture. But but the language that was spoken in Jesus' time for the common person was Aramaic. So when he said, pray this way, and they were listening, he said, pray this way, our Father. He didn't say pater, which is, which is uh, in Latin and in Greek, is the word for Father. He said, Abba. Abba. He didn't just say the word for Dad. He said the word for Daddy. The diminutive of Ab, which is father, is Abba. And it's like dad and daddy. And he teaches them to pray that way. You say, well, how do you know that for a fact? Well, 
In the Garden of Gethsemane, for example, in Mark 14, 36, Jesus prayed that way. He cried out, Abba, Father, if it's your will, take this cup from me. And Mark records that so that people could fully understand that Jesus, speaking Aramaic, called on God as Father. And this was revolutionary. No one had done that before. If you scour the Old Testament, there are references to God as Father, but they are descriptions of Him, or it's describing something poetically in the way He acts, something that He does, but no one in the Old Testament addressed God as Father. No one. They wouldn't even say His name. It was so holy and sacred. And so Jesus says, when you pray, you pray with the sense of the spirit of a son, this filial spirit, the spirit of the son, like a little child to his dad. You say, well, Don, I didn't have a relationship with a dad like that. And that's why I'm, I'm saying the second word is prompting. Listen and respond to the indwelling spirit. When you became a Christian, the Holy Spirit of God came to live inside you. That is a fact. You cannot be a Christian apart from the Holy Spirit. You can't know God apart from the Holy Spirit. You can't be born again apart from the Holy Spirit. And when you trusted Christ, He came to live inside you. And He is there to be for you all that Jesus would be if He were here in person. That's His purpose. That's His mission. Go read John 14, some other passages. You'll see that. And because of that, in other parts of the New Testament, the Spirit is referred to as the Spirit of Christ. Now, He is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, great mystery. I can't explain it to you this morning. See me in eternity. But this Holy Spirit, God, is also described as the Spirit of Christ. That's why we can be described in 1 Corinthians 2 as having possessing the mind of Christ because this very spirit of Christ lives inside you and me. I'm never alone. I'm never apart from him. And this spirit of Christ, who was the son of God, this is where he's going to take you. He's going to teach you. He's going to mold you. He's going to change you. Look at Romans 8, verses 14 and 15. You'll begin to see what I'm saying. For as many as are led by the spirit of God. Is it on the screen? Good. These are sons of God, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, there it is, Abba, Father. Who's doing that? The Holy Spirit in you. Here's a second passage of Scripture. It says even more about it. Galatians 4, verses 4 through 6. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. The word redeem means to set something free by the payment of a price. And the price was the very life of Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ. And so he was sent to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive what? The adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba! Father, so make no mistake, child of God, this is where he's taking you. You may not know fully what it means to be able to call someone father and experience unconditional love and tenderness and forgiveness and mercy and grace. But I can tell you the journey the Holy Spirit has you on this morning. I can tell you 
with the authority of God's Word, that's where He's taking you. That's what He wants to teach you. This is where it begins. Come for the intimacy. Come, Jesus says. Start here. Go no further. If you don't understand this, this fact that He's relentlessly building in you the spirit of adoption, you've got to stop here. He wants to create something special in you. Here's what it looks like. Watch this on the screen. This is a picture of what I believe the Holy Spirit wants to take you. Hey, Ryder. You playing with your bowls? <gasps> Who's home, Ryder? Who's home? Is Dad at home? <gasps> Is Dad at home? <gasps> Who's home? Is Dad at home? Did you hear Dad? Where's Dad? Happy to see Dad Dad. You happy? Yeah. <laughs> That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do with you and me. He wants us to start with this realization. Y'all ain't ready to pray, he says, until you get this. Our Father. Our Father. Um, when I was in the fifth or sixth grade, I was at that stage that a lot of boys go through where they want to build things and tear things down. I learned how a lot of things work by taking them apart. There wasn't always a guarantee I could put them back together again. But, uh, but I, would, I was at that stage. And one of the things I loved to play with was uh, magnifying glass. Not because you could see things with it, but because you could burn things with it. <laughs> and I would get together some kindling, little pieces of wood, paper, whatever, skin, if they weren't looking <laughs> and focus that light into that little bright, you know, spot, and it would get incredibly hot, and it would start to smoke, and then it would catch fire. The Holy Spirit wants to do that in your prayer life. He wants you to take His Word and what God reveals about Himself, and He wants you to focus that down until your heart is burning with a love for the Father, a longing for the Father like a little baby waiting for his dad to come in. If you were to sit down across from me at a table and we were drinking coffee, I don't drink coffee, but I'd be drinking something, and we were talking to one another, and you said, Don, my prayer life's boring. I just can't get motivated to pray. I get bored. I, I get distracted really easily. We all struggle with those things. One of the things that I would say to you is, is if you get bored with your prayer time, you have gone past the first two words too fast. Because if we are, if we are going where he wants to take us, in this relationship with Father God. He's going to keep you right there, focused on this, until it becomes a burning reality in your life. Come for the intimacy.
That's the first thing that Jesus is saying when we approach God. There's a second thing he's saying. Not only come for the intimacy, but he says, remember his majesty. Remember his majesty. Remember his, his position. Remember who he is. Our Father in heaven. And what's really cool in, uh, in the Greek language as it's written, and I haven't really seen anybody do this, but this is a literal translation. Our Father, or the Father of us, the one in the heavens, it's plural, the one in the heavens. Which Father are we talking about? The one in the heavens, lest there be any confusion, or we make a mistake over what Father we're talking about. You say, well, I can't relate to God as Father. Well, He's not like your Father on earth. He's the one in the heavens. <laughs> he's, he's different. He's far more than you ever imagined a father could be. He's the one in the heavens. Because of this, we got to be a little bit cautious, joyful, and wise in our approach to the Father. He isn't like a, a man. He's not like our earthly fathers. He knows everything. I may have thought my dad knew everything, but he really does know everything. God doesn't learn. Wouldn't that be cool if you didn't have to learn anything? Yes, I heard that. He's already God. He knows everything. He doesn't, he doesn't change. He doesn't grow old. He doesn't get better. He doesn't get worse. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is omnipresent. There's no point in the universe where I can go where God is not. And so when I come to him, he is my father, but he is also a God of majesty and wonder. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 2, the writer says this way. He says, do not be rash with your mouth and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven and you on earth. That's a great phrase to keep in mind. God is in heaven, the one in the heavens. But you're on earth, therefore let your words be few. Let your words be few. And so, as you and I, I mean, the Jews had all these different titles for God. They emphasized his greatness. They emphasized his wonder. They emphasized his transcendence. It had to be a little bit perturbing to them for Jesus to say, well, this is how you pray, Daddy. That had to disturb them. That had to bother them. And what I'm saying to you here is when he says, pray, our Father, the one in the heavens, he's saying, Yes, you be intimate. Yes, he's your father. Yes, he loves you. Yes, you are precious to him. But he's the one in the heavens. Never lose the wonder and awe of our God who is majesty. Majesty. So to approach God, I first need to come for intimacy. Secondly, I need to remember his majesty. And then third, seek his glory. Seek his glory. This is actually the first petition when he says, Hallowed be your name. It's difficult to translate. I've only found a couple translations, I'll share those with you in a moment, that, that actually do this, that, that say, that capture what's here. Sometimes when I've read it over the years myself, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. It sounds like a word of praise, it sounds like a statement of fact. But it's actually the first request of a series of requests in the Lord's Prayer. It's a request like, give us this day our daily bread. It's a request. And so what are we asking for? Well, a literal translation might be something like this. Uh, Let your name be sanctified. 
do something that causes your name to be revered, to be, to be, and the word hallowed means to be set apart, to be different from everything else, to be totally on what everything else is. And so hallowed has to do with something or someone being different or set apart. It is not saying that I should hallow his name. It's a request that God would cause his name to be sanctified or made holy. And as you think about it, this really does make sense. That if I've gone, and I'm not worried about what other people think or say, and I've gone into my room, I've closed my door, it's just me and him, and I'm being myself, and I understand that he's my father, and he wants to be with me, and I want to be with him, our father, the one in the heavens, the God of majesty. If I'm really there, if I'm really understanding what Jesus is teaching me and how he wants me to pray, that one of the first desires that should well up inside of me is, Lord, I want everybody to know you like that. I want everybody to get you, to understand you, to see that you are holy. And God, would you do something in our day? Would you do something in our time and space? Would you enter into our circumstances and may all the world know that you are God? That's the first petition. Hallowed. Hallow your name. Those other two translations that I mentioned, I only found a couple that do it. The message is a translation of one individual, a Bible Greek scholar named Eugene Peterson. He says this, our Father in heaven, reveal who you are. That's it. That just about nails it. Our Father in heaven, reveal who you are. The Holman Christian Standard comes close. Dustin, I know you like that one. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. And I would have added maybe the word let. Let your name be honored as holy. Cause it to be, because that's the request that's buried into the text. And so if you and I are alone with him, and we have focused on his fatherhood and this awesome privilege that we have to come before him, the Holy Spirit is prompting us to cry, Abba, Father. It is the most natural thing in the world for you and I to say, Lord, oh God, may everyone, Lord, would you do something so that everyone would know you like this? It's the very heart of evangelism. It's the heart of a son, the glory of his father. In Proverbs chapter 17, verse 6, the Bible says, children's children are the crown of old men, and the glory of children is their father. And when you and I know him as father, we're going to be all about his glory. You know, think about that for a moment. If that's where I start, if that's the beginning point, if that's where my heart goes first, it really, it really takes the rest of whatever I'm praying about and puts it in a proper light. Because what I want more than anything else is for God to be known, for him to be famous. And whatever else I'm going to pray about is going to certainly not interfere with that first goal, that first priority. When, we, uh, when I was serving Lake Charles, First Baptist years ago, our second daughter, Laura, and Laura, we prayed for last week in this service, um, is overseas, and, and she served today. We just got word between services that she got back safely to her hotel. But she was literally 
within minutes of a, of, of a, of a battle zone um, doing medical ministry today. And that's just like her. Uh, Wednesday nights, when we were at First Baptist Lake Charles, when she was a little girl, she'd come home from GAs. How many of y'all know what GAs is? A lot of you do. GAs, Girls in Actions, Missions Education Strategy to help young girls get excited about missions. And she would come home on Wednesday nights, and every Wednesday night, she would have these sparkles in her eyes about a new missionary, you know, that she had learned about, a new country. You know, sometimes they tried to dress up like them or eat food like them or whatever. But then she'd hear the story, she'd be so excited. But she didn't always stay in her, in her room where she was supposed to be on Wednesday nights. Sometimes that adventuresome spirit would carry her to the second or third floor of our education wing where she and a couple buddies would be AWOL from class running around up and down the stairs. She was intercepted one time by an adult. Have you ever done that with a kid in church? Not your kid? Or if you're a kid, have you ever been intercepted by an adult, not your parent? (laughs) Confess. So anyway, she got pulled over by this adult. (laughs) You know, the lights came on, pull over, pull over the child. Uh, Laura, are, should you be up here? You really shouldn't be running around up here. You need to go back to your classroom, Laura. And Laura looks at this adult and said, well, my dad is the associate pastor, so I can go wherever I want. <laughs> Preacher's kids. And we talked to her about that. That one, we didn't let that pass. <laughs> the glory of children is their fathers. Is that your heart this morning? That's the heart he wants you to bring when you pray. He says, start here. Don't go any further till you got this. Start here. You're coming to your father. And the thing that you know you're in the zone. <laughs> When the thing that wells up in your heart is I want everybody to know you like this, Lord. Make yourself famous. Would you do something in my life, in me, through me, and the people around me, in my church, in my community, so that everybody could bring you glory and know you like this. The key is this. You've got to be part of the family of God. If you can look back over your life and you can point to a very specific time and place and you know that you trusted Jesus Christ based on what he did for you on the cross when he died there, he died for your sins. Everything that separated you from a holy God, everything that was Old Testament where there was a holiest of holies and a holy of holies, everything that separated you from him when he died on the cross for your sins, all your sins, your past sins, your present sins, your future sins, all of them. At that moment when When that veil in the temple was rent, every person that puts their trust in Christ becomes part of the family of God. Are you part of the family of God? As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. Have you received Jesus Christ? Welcomed him. Put your trust in him. Surrendered your life and said, Lord, whatever it takes to save me, do it. (laughs) I trust you. And if you've never done that before, in just a moment... I believe with the Holy Spirit's help, if you need to trust Christ, he's going to help you get up and come out of the balcony or out of the pew down here. There'll be pastors standing at the end of each aisle, and we will pray with you. We'll answer your questions. 
We'll share scriptures with you. We'll help you see in God's word. You can read it for yourself how you can become part of the family of God. But it begins as you are willing to recognize what Jesus did for you and to give up your efforts to save yourself and just simply put your trust in Christ. Is that what you want to do? Is that on your heart today? To trust him? What keeps you from doing that? You know, I've been thinking a lot about the implications of living in a small town. You know, sometimes coming forward in a, in a church service, everybody knows who you are. They know the good, bad, and ugly more than you want anybody to know about you. And you're thinking, what are people going to think about me if I come? Can I just tell you as your brother in Christ that the people here, the ones that I know that love Jesus, if they see you coming to trust Christ, they're simply going to say hallelujah. They're going to say praise God. Because they understand, they know that when a person trusts Christ, the past is washed away, that person has become new. New in Christ. So I want to encourage you to come. Don't let anything keep you from that. If you're a brother or sister in Christ and you're one of those persons I talked about, you struggle with the idea of the fatherhood of God, can I just ask that you open your heart, close your eyes, and bow your heads here when we stand and sing. You don't have to do what everybody else does. You just say, Lord, God, Holy Spirit in me, whatever it takes, would you let that spirit of adoption rise up in my prayer life? Would you teach me what it means to be a son or a daughter of God? Would you heal my heart, help me forget my past, let me learn the one who's in the heavens who is my father? Would you pray to him like that? Ask him to do that. I believe he'll honor that cry. I know he will. And he'll heal your heart, begin to change you from the inside out. And so if you just need someone to pray with you, you've got a burden in your life, some other area where you need prayer, I want to invite you to come. You can kneel at the front. You can just come to one of the pastors and say, pray for me. You don't even have to explain why. But heaven forbid that you should be weighted down and burdened down with some need in your life, and we didn't pray for you today. Would you let us do that? Pastors will be here. There'll be others that would be willing to pray with you. There are deacons here, deacons wise. They'd love to pray for you. Come, let's pray together. Our Father, God, the one in the heavens, we thank you for your word. It's so precious, Lord, so powerful, so simple. And I know you taught it more than once. We see it here. We see it again in Luke, different circumstances. And you wanted us to know this. This is how we approach you. And I know that there's someone sitting here, Lord, and for them, this particular message, this teaching of yours, Lord, from your word is going to revolutionize their life. It's going to change their prayer time. It's going to change them from the very core of their being because they're getting it right now. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're hovering over this congregation. You know every heart, and you know every thought, you know every need. Father, as we worship you, as many of us stand and sing, for that person who needs to trust you, I pray you would fill them, embolden them, give them courage to come. Without hesitation or shame, put their trust in Christ. Lord, if someone is here today, they have a burden, they need someone to pray for them. I know that there are many burdens here. May this be a time where we support one another and bring each other before you and lift each other up.
this time is yours. Would you stand with me? The more I seek you, the more I find you. The more I find you, the more I love you. I want to sit at your feet, drink from the cup in your hand, lay back against you and breathe till your heart beats. Father loves you. This love is so deep. Do you believe that? It's more than I can stand. Do you know that in your heart? Not just with your head. ask you to bow your heads and to close your eyes and please no looking around such a holy time sacred time for us to respond to what God has said I really want to speak to that person or persons who struggles with this area it's not something we talk about it's not something we openly discuss for some of you, you may never fully realize that that was a problem that you were experiencing. I just want to assure you that if you know Christ today from all the, all the moments of your life, he was there and he saw and he knew everything that was going on in your life. He saw when you were a little one and you reached your hand out to feel the textures of your world. He, he saw all of that, things your parents may never have seen, but he saw it. And he took great delight in you and loved you. He made you. And he wants you to know him as Father. So I'm going to close this in prayer. I'm going to pray for our offering, but I also want to pray for you. I'm, again, I'm just going to ask every head bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. But if, if that's you, I want to pray for you. And if you'd like me to know who you are, would you just slip your hand up and put it back down? No one else is looking around. Thank you. Anybody else? That's you. Thank you. It's you, and you know it's you. Anybody else? 
Father, thank you, Lord, for the privilege we have to pray for brothers and sisters. And I know what they experience. I have felt it myself. We read promises in your word, and it seems that those promises are for everybody except. And I pray, Almighty God, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, who rises up and cries, Abba, Father, that you would destroy that that barrier, that wall, that exceptionalism that, that is plaguing these dear ones. I pray, Father, that each time they pray, each time they turn to you in prayer and seek your face, that they would sense within them that prompting of your spirit to call you Father and to come to you as Father. I pray that you would supernaturally heal the wounds of their heart, removing the barriers of their mind, and that this would be the beginning of a whole new day in their walk with God. Lord, part of your journey, part of your assignment that you shared with us was to set people free, to heal the brokenhearted. And we ask that you would do that now. Lord, as we receive this offering, we pray that you would use it to change lives around the world. We never get tired of giving. We never get tired of asking for this. We pray specifically this morning for that missionary, particularly those that are related to our church family who might be discouraged or tired or weary or in great need, and we pray at this very moment that you would meet them with your infinite supply and encourage them. So as we give, it's an act of worship, but it's also a heart cry that you would take these funds and use them to encourage and fund ministries that change lives here in Wynn and around the world. And we ask it in Jesus' name.